What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you that as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ and your Son, that we know that you are for us. We know that you are good and that you do good for us. In fact, all things work together for good to those who love you. Lord, we live in a broken world, a world that has been cursed because of Adam and Eve's sin, but you cursed it. And you allow the sin and the suffering and all the other things that are broken to remain so that it points us to you. So that we might be dependent upon you. Father, again, we thank you that we can say that you are our Father. Uh, you already know our needs before we even mention them in prayer. And we thank you that you are working. You are continually working putting things together in your providence so that we might grow, that you might be glorified, that others might come to Christ. We thank you for all the good purposes that you have for us and through us. Lord, again, we thank you that your grace is sufficient. We ask that we would depend on it. So often we try to be self-sufficient. Lord, help us to be dependent on you and on what you want to accomplish. Again, we ask that you would give us wisdom and understanding and grace to apply the truths that we're going to learn today. And um, again, that you would be glorified through our lives. That this would not just be knowledge that we have and we can defend something, but this would be actually part of our life, that we would live according to these principles and that we would do it for you. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. Today we're not in an actual passage, Uh, we're going to be skipping around, but uh, before I get into it, I want to mention two little booklets. These were hugely uh, beneficial to me when I was in the hospital. They're both by John Piper. Uh, John Piper went through both prostate cancer and he had a uh, blood clot, I'll kill him I guess. And out of those two things, he wrote two little booklets. The one is, Don't Waste Your Cancer. Um, Very, very good. And I'm going to be quoting, by the way, this message is kind of odd in the sense that I'm going to be quoting a lot from Piper. And the reason is, is because he brought up things in my life, they were not original with me. I I brought to the hospital some things, you know, some truths from the Word of God, but he just cemented them. And, um... So don't waste your cancer. In fact, he wrote another one, don't waste your pain. In other words, when you go through situations, hard times, don't waste it. You know how we waste it? Angry, frustrated, bitter, God, why me? That's wasting your pain. Versus, Lord, you have a purpose. And the other ones he wrote when he had his uh, blood clot, lessons from a hospital bed. And I'll tell you what, if, if you have someone that has cancer or someone that's going to be in the hospital longer than just a few days, like into the weeks, that's a great one. Uh, In fact, a lot of the message came from the first part of this. There's ten lessons that he brought into the hospital, to the hospital, and then ten lessons he learned while he was at the hospital. And, And again, when you're sitting in a hospital bed or laying down and you can't do anything, it's great to have something there 
to kind of refresh your memory, right? So anyways, I just wanted to let you know that. And we've got a number of these. I ordered, I think, 10 or 12 of each of these, so they're in the back. So if you uh, ever need those. When God throws you a curveball. <laughs> By the way, that's the title. Notice it doesn't say when life throws you a curveball. You know, because that's fatalistic. That's just, that's depressing. You know, like I'm walking down the path and all of a sudden life threw me a curveball. No, no, this is God. God throwing it. God is the one that's uh, accomplishing this. And, you know, since I came back, when did I come back? June 1st. And, um, you know, you've been great. You've been asking me, how, you know, how, how's things. And I've, I've told you the story so many times. And I, in one sense, I want you to know because you're praying. In the other sense, I don't want to keep talking about myself. So I thought, you know what, I'd, I'd, I'm just going to kind of give you a synopsis, a, a summary. And most of you know this. You know, many of you know this, but uh, this kind of gets us into the message. Uh, th- th- this series, it's going to be a mini-series, is just things that I've learned. W- one thing I've realized is this. Um, do we live well in light of death? And I, by the way, I'm not saying I'm going to die necessarily. All I'm saying is, do we live well in, in light of that? And do we face um, death confidently? And how do we live? And, and, and are we enduring Christians? Or is it just that, you know, we, we bless God when things are going well? And, and all that stuff. And so we're going we're gonna to look at some lessons today. Then we're going to go over into 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and 5 after Chris Miller, again, the special speaker. And by the way, please come next week. It, he, he's really good. I mean, I heard an intro to his lesson. And, uh, you know, he's just a very humble man. He doesn't do it for a living. He's not even asking for a love offering. He just does it as a ministry. He's actually a biotech guy or something like that. Engineer, I guess, you know. It's, but um, but he, he loves Jesus Christ. He loves his word. He loves creation, you know, knowing that God created in, in six days. And uh, so he, he's, he's very, very good. He's in ABF and Sunday morning. But... Um, but anyways, then after that, the next week after, we're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians, uh, especially chapter uh, verses 16 to 18. That was like my anchor to my soul. You know, we do not lose heart. And again, I preparing all of us just to live a life that's pleasing to the Lord. So, and then getting into chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians, uh, because again, the purpose is uh, how do you look at life and how do you look at death and all that. And it's not depressing. It's very, very encouraging. So when, when God throws us a curveball, uh, my progress. Again, I went to the hospital on, on April 20th, got out May 30th, 31st, basically with four days in between where I was sick anyways. Um, so I had to go there twice. Uh, the bottom line is they found cancer in the small intestine and... Going into the large as well as my stomach, so they took out part of me. <laughs> um, I am presently, because, you know, especially the kids, what is that guy with the, I am presently in IVs. They go into my right here. There's a pick line or whatever they call that central line. And so this is my hydration. This is my drink. People say, do you want a drink? Well, I can drink it, but it just goes through me, you know. Um, and then I have food at night. Um, by the way, if I don't show up to a party, like there was a party yesterday it's because if i'm out in the sun i dehydrate and it takes me a long time to hydrate and i feel the effects of it which i did this morning um i have a decompressed stomach this is by the way not show and tell um (laughs) (laughs) 
a decompressed stomach, which basically drains into a bag, but um, I got bags all over the place. Um, but it keeps me out of the hospital, and if you want to pray, my next appointment is July 8th, a week from Friday, and I'm going to see the oncologist, I'm going to see the nutritionist, and I've asked the one doctor if I could have my PET scan. Please give me my PET scan, which tells me um, if there's any other cancer out of the immediate area. They think they got it. Uh, it was found in some lymph nodes. And, um, you know, they categorize it as sta- stage 3B cancer. If they find it somewhere else, it's stage 4, I guess. I guess that's what it is. So the bottom line is, you know, I, I want to do a mini-series because, you know, I'd like to, I wanted to do this mini-series before I found out about what my prognosis is, right? I mean, you know, I mean, if, if I come back and say, I'm cancer-free, let's praise God, you know, he's in control, he's good. Well, what if it's the other side? Can we still say that? Can I still say that? So, you know, I really want to teach this now before I even know. Um, I read a, a story about Johnny Erickson Tata. You know, she's a young lady in 67 who, as she says, recklessly dived into a shallow pool of water, broke her neck, became a quadriplegic, was in the hospital for about 18 months, 19 months, I think it was. She was laying on the gurney, cold gurney, ready to have another test, and the, the nurse and doctor said, well, we'll give you the test after we come back for our, from our lunch. Very. And she said, you know, right there is like, you know, am I going to get bitter or better? Am I going to, you know, get discouraged through this whole thing? And and she did. I mean, for a while there, she was in despair and frustration and depression. But she says this, quote, I determined that, quote, that this hospital, this, and I'm going to use the word trial, not just hospital. She was in the hospital for a year and a half or whatever. But this trial would be well, would, would be well it's going to be this, three things. It's going to be a gymnasium for my soul. I really like that. A gymnasium for my soul. By the way, when you go through the trial, whatever trial yours is, is it a gymnasium for your soul, your spiritual life? Number two, it's going to be a proving ground for my faith. And number three, a mission field for God. Now, I really like that. When I read that, I thought, man, that's good. It should be a gymnasium for our soul, a proving ground for our faith, and a mission field for our God. That's what it should be. So you, if you're in a trial right now, and many of you are, ask those questions. Is my soul being strengthened? That's what Second Corinthians says. Is my soul being strengthened? And is it a proving ground for my faith? Many of you have been saved. How many of you have been saved more than 30 years? All right. All right, you older ones, and I'm in that group, need to be an example to the younger ones. And say, you know what, what we've been teaching and preaching and living by all these years, when the big trial comes, you know what, it's, those truths are just as true today as they were back when everything was okay, right? So it needs to be a proving ground for our faith and a mission field for our God. Yeah, I like that. You know, I had a few opportunities to share uh, in the hospital, and I hope I continue to do that, and, I, and we need to do that. Her, her, her conclusion was this. That this is not a jail, it's a gymnasium. Her hospital bed did not become a jail, it was a gymnasium. She saw herself as growing in Christ. And so again, she didn't waste her suffering. That's the bottom line. She didn't waste it. So for me, um, you know, my, my journey went like this. As I laid there and sat there and the doctors kept coming in and saying, Are you okay? Uh, I, you know, what I first of all went back to is my salvation. And I think we all need to go back to our salvation. And, and uh, I was saved. 
I think, in July 21st, 1975. Now, I say I think because I went through some rocky years where I kept doubting my salvation. I was pretty young. I wasn't sure. And, uh, I, but I, as I look back, I think that's really when I really was saved. It doesn't matter. I know I'm saved. You know? I mean, how many of you remember when you were born? Please don't, please don't raise your hand. Yeah, you don't remember it, but you apparently are been physically born. You're all sitting here, right? And that's how sometimes our, our salvation experience is, right? We can't remember for sure, but you know what you have to do is, well, do I believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, and have I repented of my sins? Yeah. So I, I, was, I was born again sometime back then. Repented and believed, and, and that's the present tense. But the, the passage that really hit me was 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 6, because this is where it starts. You know, what does Paul say? It says, don't you know, 1 Corinthians six nineteen? don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? You are not your own. Can you say that with, a, with me? We are not our own. If you're saved, you're not your own. For you have been bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And that really just continually went, you know, I'm not my own. I'm not my own. I've been bought. I have been bought. And the other passage was Colossians 3. It says, if you've been raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on the things of the earth. For you die, that's Aristotle's past. In other words, a point in time, you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And, that, and that's very, very important. When you're going through a trial, you've got to remember, you've died, if you're a believer, you've died, your life is hidden with Christ in God. The idea is safe and secure. Nothing is outside of God's will for our lives. And so... The reality is this, and I, I gave you some fill-ins. The reality is this, I have the big C within me. But the big C is not cancer, it's Christ. Christ is the big C. Because our life, my life, is hidden with Christ in God. Now again, these are truths that I've preached over the years. But do you see how theology is very practical? It drives me nuts when people say, oh... Theology is not practical. Theology is, theology is the only thing we hang on to. Everything else is emotionalism, is going to be you know, sentimentalism and everything else. No, no. You need theology. We need to you know, anchor our soul with what God has. So as, as Piper said this, or no, not Piper, it was from a different one. He said this, um, Christ can make cancer look very small. I love that. Christ is the big C. He's the one in control. Now, we know why we suffer. Go to James. Now, again, you're going to be, your fingers are going to get a little wore out today. Now, next time we, I preach, it's going to be 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18, and you'll be right there. But I just, I thought I, I wanted to throw out some things today, kind of set ourselves up. In James, and I know, uh, I think Ken preached on James. And so I'm not going to beat this passage up again, you know, I, but, and by the way, I didn't hear Ken's message. Uh, just for whatever reason, I haven't listened to it, so I don't know what exactly he said. But I will say this. You know, James is, again, a, a passage on trials, 
uh, verses 2 to 12, and temptations, verses 13 to 18. Uh, And we always start in verse 2. But I'll tell you what, you really need to start with verse 1. James 1, verse 1 says this, James, a bondservant of Christ, and that word bondservant means this, slave, it's doulos. Now, that's, that's the game changer right there in this entire passage. That right there is the game, that word right there. Because what James is saying is, I am the slave of God. I am the slave of Christ. Now, in the, in the first century, when this was written, it was actually better to be a slave than a free man. Because a day laborer may or may not get the job at, and during the day, and he may or may not eat at night. But a slave would be taken care of by his master. By the way, the master had total control over the slave. In fact, the, the master could even kill the slave if, if he chose to. Because the slave was the property of the master. You know, you get that? Now, that's how we need to look at our life. If you're a Christian then you are the property of Christ. Because didn't we just read in 1 Corinthians 6 that we have been bought with a price, right? So, James says, a bondservant. Now, from there, he gets into verses 2 to 12 and talks about trials. And the word trial is parismos. Now, and I've said this many times in Sunday school class and even from the pulpit. But the same word of tr- that's used of trial is used of the word temptation in verse 13 when it says, let no one say he is tempted, parismos. Same word, same exact. Well, it's a der- derivative, I should say that. One verb, one noun. But the point is, is this, that it comes from the same root. So what is the point of James? And, and I like what MacArthur says here. This, and you can get this right out of the MacArthur Study Bible. Uh, the same Greek word translated trials in verses 2 to 12 is also translated temptations here in verses 13 to, uh, 13 to 16. James's point is that every difficult circumstance, and we can say circumstance, trial, temptation, suffering, whatever you want to put in there, Every difficult circumstance that enters a believer's life can either either strengthen him if he obeys God and remains confident in his care, in his love, in his... And see, that's why I want to give you uh, 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 nine foundation stones because we need to, as we go through trials, stay confident in God's care or become a solicitation to evil if the believer chooses instead to doubt God and disobey his word. See, any trial, any trial will either edify you or will destroy you. God sends them so that you would be built up. However, if we don't believe God, then it will destroy us. Now, he doesn't send it to destroy us. He sends it to strengthen his believers. Just like, and you know the passage, in, in, uh, especially verses 2 to 4, <laughs> that you might be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. I mean, he sends it so we might be enduring and maturing and every. But again, sometimes we, um, we doubt God. We don't approach the, the trial with confidence in God. And that is why, by the way, look at verse, look at verse 17. 
James 1.17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights. Father of lights is another way of saying creator. With whom there is no variation in shadow of turning. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that, he might, that we might be a kind of first fruit of his creation. Why did James end there? See, a lot of times we never get to that. Why? Because he wants to remind us, hey, it all comes from God and there's a good purpose in whatever comes from God. It's always good. Always, every good gift, every perfect gift is from above, is from the Father. So I think it was Brooke Norris years ago said this, you know, whatever you go through trials or temptations, it's an opportunity for excellence. Did you tell me that? My uncle said it. Your uncle said, okay, I, I thought it was you. I'm trying to go back on my memory and I'm like, yeah, everything you go through is an opportunity for excellence. I like that. I really like that. You know, so we have to look at it like that. Okay. Let's get into some foundation stones, because I know we're going to run out of time. So, what, what am I saying? I gave you the review. I told you about my salvation. I've been bought with a price. If you're a Christian, you have two. We are slaves of Christ. Therefore, He is our master, and He's going to put us through different things to mature His slave. I'm going to use that. Not just child. I know I'm joined here with Christ uh, heir of Christ joining with, with uh, God. No, I guess it's reverse that. Uh, but the point is, I'm an heir. I'm a child of his. I understand that. But let's just put it in slave terms. He's the master. He's the master. And I need foundation stones of truth, and you do too. So let's look at some of them. And the, the first one and the most important one is this, that this book is God's word. And it needs to be trusted now again, that sounds so simplistic. Really, I came all the way to church to find that out. Well, wait a second. Do we actually do that? The Bible is God's word and it should be and should be trusted. In fact, I'm going to say it must be trusted. For us to survive in this world, it has to be trusted. I'll say it this way. It's not important what John Prince thinks. My opinion means nothing, especially when it has to do with suffering. It has no authority. But now, <clears throat> we need the Word of God because it tells us. It gives us truth. In fact, I gave you some of the verses. Uh, like Psalms 119 says this, The sum of your word is truth. It's perfect. Psalms 19. Psalms 119.89 says, Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in heaven. Proverbs 30 says, every word of God proves true. Every, every word proves true. But the one I really like is the sheep one. In John 10, 27, it says, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. And when you say, here's my voice, this is the voice. As I go to the word, as you go to the word, do you hear his voice? Do you hear his voice? You know, there's something about just opening the book reading it, and it's like, yeah. And, and have you ever, do you ever get like this? And Has anyone else ever seen this? Or like this. Like, I've been at that passage 25 times before. Why didn't I see that? Well, again, that's called illumination by the Spirit of God. But see, at that 25, the 24 times before, he didn't want to remind you of something of that, in that word. But all of a sudden, he wants to point it out. He wants to point it out. And we've got to be willing... To listen, to listen. And that's why in Psalms it says that your word is sweeter than honey to my mouth. Is the word sweet? 
I mean, do you find that you run to the Word? And you can just ask the very simple uh, uh, diagnostic question. Have you been in the Word of God this week? Because if, if you really haven't been in it, you can't really say it's sweet, right? Right? I mean, if you just kind of get up, run to work, and maybe yeah, bypass the Word, it's really not that sweet to you. It needs to be sweet. This is truth. This is where you're going to find strength. This is where the Spirit of God... See, the, it's, the, it's the Spirit of God using the Word of God that changes the child of God. If we're going to be changed, if we're going to be strong, we need to have the Word of God in our life. And it's got to be sweet. One man said this, No man, no man can comfort your soul the way God can. His comfort is unshakable, but it comes through His Word, the Bible. This is the first priority. And all the others that I'm going to mention today are based off of this. It's based off of the Word of God. It's the anchor. It's the anchor of your soul. And so we have to go back over and over. And, and I found like as I was laying there, you know, well, laying there and walking, because I, I did a lot of walking while I was in the hospital with my pole. Um, oh, I just kept going over 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 17. Colossians 3, 1 to 4, James 1. I mean, just, by the way, short sentences. What I found, and I'm just telling, see, I'm going to tell you a lot about, because, because sometimes I think we feel guilty. Like, man, I should just be reading the Bible all the time. I found myself not being able to concentrate. I had to have small. I had to have pieces. Just give me a piece. I can't read a whole chapter. Give me a piece of truth that I can mull over, because I want to keep my mind focused, but I can't have a big piece. I just have to have a small piece. So, you know, we got to read, we got to read. Piper said it this way, we waste our trial or our cancer if we spend too much time reading about cancer and not enough time reading about God. Sometimes you get into a trial and all of a sudden it overwhelms you and you're just on the internet. That's the problem with the internet. <laughs> you know, and you're reading 25 different articles. Have you gone to truth? Well, he understands. No, no. This is what makes us the unshakable oak tree. Remember, an oak tree, you know, an oak tree is only strong and resilient if it goes through, they say, a number of storms in its growth pattern. In other words, if, if an oak tree or a uh, hardwood never has a major storm, you know, 40, 50 mile an hour winds, where it's bending and, and uh, bending those fibers in the, in the wood, then when the big one comes, it just breaks. But if as the tree is growing, it's gone through some of those windstorms, it's strong. It needs to, it needs to go through them to, so that when the 60-mile-an-hour wind comes, it can still stand. It's the word that makes us the oak tree. We've got to get in it. We've got we've to savor it. So that's the first. That's the, that's the anchor that we all have to go back to. Number two, God is good. God is good. And we see this in Scripture over and over again. Nahum says, the Lord is good, in Nahum 1.7. Psalms 100, verse 5. The Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. His truth endures to all generations. No, God is good. In fact, if, if you have to question that, the passage I read in Romans 8, at the very beginning, says this. What shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Now, this is, answers the question, is God good? Is, is the Father truly good? Romans 8.32 
He who did not spare his own son. Now just think about it. He didn't spare his own son. But delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Is God good? I mean, do you ever question that? Is he really good? Always? Always? Didn't spare his own son. Gave, gave him for us all. Yep, God is good. God is good. God has a purpose. See, good will come from the trials of our lives. I can just mention some for me. For me. Sustaining grace. Years ago, if you had asked me this, like when you go through this coming up in 10 years, how are you going to respond? I would have said I probably will fall apart. But when you're there, you're just sustaining grace. You've, many of you, if not all of you, if you're a Christian, you, you've experienced that, right? The grace comes when it's needed. Grace is not in a reservoir. Like, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have devotions, pray, fellowship, and I'm going to store it up so when, when I need the, when I go through the trial, it's just going to be there sitting in the reservoir. The reservoir is, is the Spirit of God. And you don't get it until you get right there. You have to be in the trial when God releases, when God releases His grace. But experiencing grace, uh, empathy. I mean, you go through a trial, empathy, right? You can start feeling what other people feel. For me, another blessing has been immediate family closeness. The immediate family. My father, mother, sisters, brothers. Brothers. I don't have a brother. Sisters. Brother-in-law. I mean, just a closeness that I've never experienced. Uh, Recognize concern by you, the church. Phenomenal, as I've mentioned a couple other times. Uh, testimony to the community. I mean, it's amazing how many people wrote to me that I don't even really know. But, you know, everybody's watching everybody. You know, the witness. And witnessing opportunities. There was a guy there, Joe, that I witnessed to. I'd love to see him again. God is good. He has purpose. That's the point. He has purpose. Let me read you something from George Mueller. You remember him? Old guy, prayed a lot, did, you know, orphanage, orphanages, man of faith. Man of faith. Well, when he was 65, his wife of 40 years died. So he's 65, his wife died. And, and they had a wonderful relationship. He loved her dearly. He actually spoke at her funeral. And he spoke off of Psalms 119, verse 68. This is what it says. Talking about God. You are good and you do good. That's what he spoke on. You are, you are good and you do good. And this is what he writes. He recalled in the sermon how he held on to this truth. Quote, All will be according to his own blessed character. Nothing but that which is good, like himself, speaking of God, can proceed from him. If he pleases to take my dearest wife, it will be good, like himself. Wow. It will be good like himself. What I have to do as his child is to be satisfied with what my father does, that I may glorify him. After this, my soul not only aimed, but this my soul by God's grace attained to. And he ends with this. I was satisfied with God. End quote. Can you see, the, can you see his heart there? I know he's good. I know he does good. I love my wife so much, but he's still good and he does good. And when it was all said and done, he struggled through it, but he said, I was satisfied with God. 
That's how we have to be. We have to be satisfied with God and God's plan for our life. So God is good. That's the, that's the second foundation stone. Now again, I use the word stone because you think of a big old stone. And it's the foundation. You know, it's what everything is built on. And you want to have a good foundation. You don't want to have a foundation of sand like Matthew talks about. So that's the second one. So we have God's word. God is good. Now we're starting to get a pattern here. God is wise and knows everything perfectly. God knows absolutely everything about, by the way, your body and your disease and your suffering and your trials, right? He knows everything. Romans 11, verse 33, Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. Oh, the depths. And he, he ends, he says, They're unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. Isaiah 40, verse 28, His understanding is unsearchable. And you can go on and on. Uh, in wisdom you have made all. He knows all, Matthew 6. His, and I'm going I'm to put this one and number 4 together. God is, knows all, perfect knowledge, but then also God is totally in control. (laughs) Totally in control. And and this is the one that I sometimes struggle with. Totally in control? I mean, I I believe it, don't get me wrong. I believe it, but totally in control? No, he's he's wise and understanding and he's totally in control. You've got to put those two together. He knows all, but he's doing it. He's the one that's accomplishing it. I ask you, when I tell you that God is totally sovereign, totally in control, is that a comforting truth? Or is that uh, blasphemous? Some people say that's blasphemous. Some say that's cruel. Some say that's hurtful. You mean he's, he's totally in control and I'm here? Honestly, if God is not in control... Then, then really what we're going through is meaningless. It's just chance. It's just fatalism. It's just the roll of the dice. It just happens to be that, you know, that's how your molecular struggle or, or maybe it's, you know, you know, demons. So much of what happens is credited to the demons. Wait a second. God is in control. God is in control. Isaiah 46.10, My counsel shall stand and I will do all of my pleasure. No purpose of yours can be thwarted, Job says. Job says that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Christ said in Matthew, with God all things are possible. I like what uh, Piper said. We waste our trials in our cancer if we seek comfort from our odds rather than from our God. See, if we believe that God is in total control, I'm not going to seek comfort from my odds. Quite honestly, stage 3 cancer, the odds are pretty good. But that's not where you seek comfort from. You seek comfort from the one who knows all, all wise and all powerful and is in complete control. You've got to find comfort in that, in him, in him. So again, God is good God knows all, and God is in control. Now, you might ask immediately, well, but can his purposes be thwarted? Can his purposes be thwarted? And two very common examples. One would be Joseph. 
Remember Joseph, you know, he's taken away into slavery and then finally he becomes second in, in charge of, of Egypt and he finally meets his brothers and he tells his brothers that you meant it for what? Evil. You meant evil against me. By the way, is that active? Is that in the active tense? Is he saying you, you actively did or was that a passive term? Active. You meant it for evil. Same exact word. Now I want you to, this is really important. Same exact word. But God meant it for good. Is that active or passive? Active. Sometimes we put God in the passive. Well, he allows it. Get it out of the passive category. If Joseph said actively you meant it for evil and God meant it for good, that means God's the one that allowed it and sent it. I really do believe that. So, he had, had a purpose. Now, again, I understand he used, in Job's life, Satan, but still it was designed, and I'm going to use that word carefully, it was designed by God for us. Okay? In fact, in Job 2, if you're there, well, you're not there, but if you want to go there, in Job 2, remember when his, his, um, his wife said, just curse God and die? Yeah, wouldn't you like to be married to that woman? You know, and then what did he say in 2.10? 2.10. Job 2.10. He said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women. Shall we indeed accept good from God and shall we not accept adversity? And that word adversity means hurt, trouble, affliction. It's usually translated evil. Now again, God is not evil. He's good. But God sends and allows, and I'm going to use the word allows, but actually puts us through things that are very hard and troublesome and affliction for his purposes. And he has designed it. He has actually designed it that way. In um, Piper, I'm going to read again. Again, we waste our trials and our cancer if we do not believe it is designed for us by God. That one right there stopped me for a while. You designed this for me? It will not do to say that God only uses our cancer but does not design it. What God permits, he permits for a reason, and that reason is his design. If God foresees molecular developments becoming cancer, he can stop it, right? If he does not, he has a purpose. Since he is infinitely wise, it is right to call his purpose a design. And that's what Job is saying in 2.10. We shall, shouldn't we accept the adversity? Yeah. See, this is a hard truth. I don't know if it's hard for you. You might be saying, yeah, I knew that a long time ago. Why are you even saying that? But when you use the word design, that stops me. That stops me. But it is. Because he is sovereign. And he is good, and he is wise, and he uses these things for a purpose. Now, that gets us to number five, or E, which is sin is the ugly origin of ugly disease. Sin is the ugly origin of ugly disease. It's the origin. Now, again, I'm not saying that all sickness has come from sin. Well, ultimately it is, but I'm saying, I'm saying it this way. We don't get sick necessarily because it's chastisement from God for our sin. In fact, quite honestly, we don't get punished for our sin any longer, right? Jesus Christ took our punishment. 
anything I'm enduring or you're enduring is not because of punishment. That's right. If you're a Christian, you've already, it's already been taken care of. I'm not saying it's not chastisement. That's a different thing. But when it comes to punishment, he's not punishing Christians. But we can say this together. All sickness is owed owing to the first rebellion. Remember when Adam and Eve sinned? Before they sinned, what did God... He looked at all of creation and he said what? It is very good. Not just good, but very good. But then, because of sin, corruption came into this world. And in Romans 8.20 it says this, For the creation was subjected to futility. Romans 8.20 God subjected the creation to futility. Not willingly. The creation didn't willingly do this. But because of God who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption. The point is this. God subjected the creation to futility. It... He actually cursed the earth and allows sin and suffering because of a purpose. And I want you to watch a four-minute video by Piper because he's talking about how, how uh, suffering is a parable to sin. See, we ask, why is there suffering in this world? Because it makes us understand how bad sin is. All human suffering, especially the suffering of the Son of God, is meant to portray to dull souls like mine, it's all human suffering, especially Christ's suffering, is meant to portray the unimaginable moral ugliness of sin and the unimaginable offensiveness of sin to God. That's why there's suffering in the world. According to Romans 8, God subjected the creation to futility, not because it wanted to be subjected, but because of him who subjected it in hope for that new day coming. So God brought it down with calamities galore and diseases galore and death everywhere in order to make plain that's how ugly sin is. So all human beings hate suffering. Very few human beings hate sin. They're not getting the connection. It's a parable. Cancer is a parable. Leukemia is a parable. Arthritis is a parable. Ebola is a parable. Tsunamis are parables of the ugliness of sin. It's ugly. It should be killed. Daily, I die every day. Because Jesus said, take up your cross daily in Luke 9. And crosses are for dying. Sin's so ugly and so offensive that the only remedy was the death of an infinitely worthy divine substitute. Only remedy. Sin is so ugly and so offensive, all human death, billions and billions of deaths, are owing to one sin. Sin is so ugly and so offensive that everlasting conscious torment is a just and proper response. 
Sin is so ugly and so offensive that it justifies the slaughter of the Canaanites, men, women, and children, after 400 years so that their iniquity could be full. Sin is so ugly and so offensive that Jesus describes it in the parable as the unpayable debt of 10,000 times 20 years wages. Sin is so ugly and offensive that God ordained 1,500 years of law covenant so that every mouth would be stopped and all the world would be accountable to God and know that no one is justified by works of the law because you can't do any. 1,500 years to learn that lesson. Conflict with this ugly and offensive reality, therefore, it is not a peaceful affair. It's not a pretty affair. Neither on Golgotha nor in the kitchen or the bedroom or the TV room. If we're faithful, every time we meet this quivering power, we meet him with a sword. No truce, no compromise, no prisoners. To the death. Every time you meet it. Many times we don't see how ugly sin is. But that made a lot of sense, doesn't it? He leaves suffering. He leaves disease to give us an understanding because it was because of sin that the suffering and disease is here, right? It's because of sin, the one sin, and then we all are sinners, but the one sin of Adam and Eve. And that starts to help us understand that God, it says, again, in Romans 8.20, you might want to write that down, creation was subjected to futility. Number six, and I think I'm going to close here because of, just because of time. There's so much good stuff, but there's, we're out of time. And I really want to, I want to have a, just a couple minutes and then we'll... Number six, I, I mean, I'm going to end it with saying a couple of things, which is always scary for a preacher when he says a couple of things. Right, right. Jesus Christ died and rose to save sinners. Again, I don't know where you're at. I don't know where you're at spiritually, okay? But as he said, and I believe this is very true, even among Christians, but especially among unbelievers, I don't think we understand how ugly sin is, how horrendous sin is, one sin. The fact that you're a sinner, the fact that God's wrath, if you're not a uh, Christian, if you're not a believer, is over you, is literally as Romans three, or, uh, yeah, Romans three says. Again, it says in First Peter that He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree. Peter three eighteen says Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God. Second Corinthians five, God made Him to be sin who knew no sin that. In him, we might become the righteousness of God in him. The question is, do you understand the, uh, 
the horrendousness, the, the ugliness of sin. And as you look at disease and suffering and brokenness in the world, understand that God gave that so that he, he's trying to show us this is how bad sin is. Now, what that should do for a Christian is, and my Savior paid for all those sins in my life. Right? I mean, it should just bring us to the foot of the cross and want to worship. And that's why I want to end early. Because we have a moment. My wife said, if you don't end at a certain time, we're not going to have a song. No, I want to have a... Because if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, don't you want to worship Him? Because He took the ugliness of your sin. Not only that it condemned you, just the ugliness of it. And so when I... I mean, as I was able to be in the in the, the hospital, you see other people, and, and some of them are deformed, and, you know, they're walking the halls, and they're, some of them are about ready to die, all because of sin. Take the, the worst case disease, and all of you have, and how deforming it is, and finally death, and yet it all because of sin. Now that's in the physical realm. Because God left us here physically. But he's going to wipe that all. I mean, the, the last points are basically this. This is not all there is. Right? There's coming a day when there's no more tears. There's coming a day where there's no more disease. There's coming a day where no more hospitals and no more PT, physical therapy, and no more occupational therapy, and no more Ebola, and no more cancer. Because there's coming a day of the redemption of our body, which is Romans 8, the last few verses after 21, 22, 23. And we'll, we'll pick that up next time. See, this is not all meaningless. This is not all chance. This is God working, and he's working to show Christians, look at this is how ugly sin is. Because it was sin that I cursed this, or because of sin I cursed. And I cursed, <coughs> and I used the suffering. And I allow the suffering. I even mean for the suffering because why? It shows you how bad sin is. The other side though is this. If you've never received Christ, know that He can completely forgive you. Because your sin is that ugly. Think of your sin like the debilitating, well, cancer. Let's just use that one. And, and where you see the physical person, you know, maybe waste away. Think of your sin over you like that. If you're an unbeliever, if you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that's how God looks at your sin, looks at you. That, he, that you are in no way acceptable to the Holy God, in no way acceptable, and yet God made a way, a path for you to become right before Him and as through the sacrifice of His Son. And I'll, I'll end with Romans 8. Again, going right back. To verse 31. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? You can receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. He can forgive all your ugly sin. But what you must do is admit that, yes, God, you are telling me the truth in this book. That I am condemned without Christ. I can't do it on my own. Not by works of righteousness, which I have done, but according to your mercy you saved me. It's your mercy and grace. It's your mercy and grace that has been shown through Christ on the cross. 
And if a person says, yes, I believe your word, I believe that I am a damned sinner that deserves it. And I'm not going to work towards my salvation because my works are filthy rags, Isaiah says. But it does say that you, that you sent your son for sinful mankind. And when he died on the cross, he died. His, his death was, was, he was able to say, it is finished. And if you're, if you're an unbeliever, if you're one who has never repented of your sins and turned to Christ, you can do that. Maybe you're religious. Maybe you come to this church a long time. Maybe you're even a leader in this church. But if, but if you recognize, you know what, my sin, I'm still trying to get rid of my sin by my own righteousness. I would, I would say this, according to Titus and many other passages, it's not by your works of righteousness that you do. That you would turn to Christ. That you would turn to him as the only Savior. And that you would put your faith and hope in him. You would turn from your sin, the ugliness. People try to earn their salvation by doing ugly because ugly. Acts because they're sinners. It's like trying to clean a window with a dirty, greasy cloth. That's what works of righteousness are. That's self-righteousness. God says, reject that. Turn to Jesus as the only Savior. And if you do that, he will forgive you. And he will then make you one of his children and, and give you all good things. Okay, so again, if you're an unbeliever, receive Christ. If you're a believer, I trust that even just the things that we've been talking about, especially the ugliness of sin, <coughs> will make you want to really, you know, Lord, I, I have so many. I still sin. Do you still sin? We still sin. But again, we can, we can thank the Lord that, we, that he is patient with us I was telling you, you know, I, I've had peace through this whole thing until about three days ago. It kind of broke. Actually, my wife, thank, I thank the Lord for my wife. She said, you've lost your joy, or something like this. She said, use the word joy. That really hit me. That cut me really bad because I, you know, I've just been kind of like, boy, this, and I've had to go back and say, you know, Lord, forgive me. You know what, it, I tell you what it was. I started getting self-confident. Because people get up saying, oh, you know, you're doing okay? Oh, yeah, I'm doing fine, you know, and I was. Well, yeah, but it, you're not doing fine unless you're walking with Jesus, right? So again, I don't know where you are. Maybe you're in a trial where you're not handling so well. Maybe you're like uh, Johnny Erickson Tata. At one time, she started getting resentful and bitter. But you can step back and say, Lord, please, as a believer in Jesus Christ, please fill me with your spirit. Give me, give me wisdom. Let me, let me know the joy of the Lord. And he'll forgive you. And by the way, that joy comes like that. At least for every time I've confessed my sin, it comes right back. But you have to be willing to, again, humble yourself and admit the fact of your need, and Lord, I need your grace. It's not just a person with cancer. It's not just a person that has a backache. We all need God's grace all the time, right? So each one of you, we, we all pray that prayer. Lord, I need your grace. Because I don't want to just live sub-Christian. I want to sense your power so that I can be what you need me to be. So let's stand as we seek to worship him. So the summary is this. Your trial is a gift, not a curse. Right? If we believe the word is true, if we believe that God is in control, that he is wise, that he is understanding that he is loving, that he is our father, then what happens to us is a gift, not a curse. 
In fact, I'll end with Piper. He says, Satan's, Piper said this, Satan tries to destroy some of us by increasing our health and wealth, which can strangle our faith. That's actually what Matthew 13 says about the parable of the sower and the seeds. That the cares of this world choke the word. And for many of us, it is the cares of this world that is choking us. It chokes us by keeping us totally focused on this world. You ever notice that the more you have, the more you have to stay focused? I'm not saying to give away everything. I'm not going down that path. All I'm saying is this. Stuff can choke the word. Stuff can make it so that this is what's important, not seeking those things that are above. And when I say stuff, I just don't mean things. I mean some of us even idolize our own health. Everything's about this world. It's not. It's not even at all. We got to get our minds up there, right? Seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of the Father. So challenge, challenge our thinking because the world says it's all about here. It isn't. We got to keep thinking about things that are above and saying, Lord, whatever you bring into our life, it's a gift. It's a gift. Because it is from a good hand. And I trust that you believe that and you're living according to those principles. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for your word. It is true. It always will be true. A billion years from now it will be true. We know that it is only through the sacrifice of your son that we can have a right relationship with you. And Lord, first I pray for anyone here that has never received you as their Lord and Savior and Master. I I pray that today would be the day that they would turn from their sin, their ugly sin, knowing that that ugly sin condemns them before you and that they would turn and receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Father, I pray for us as believers. Help us to get our mind on things above. Lord, some of us have easy life, some of us have hard, but regardless, we need to keep our thinking above. And Father, I pray that we would see these truths, some of these truths that I've been able to get through as solid rock, anchors to our soul. Father, give us wisdom as we look at our own life that we would not again focus on the things of this earth. We know that we can have hope (laughs) and we don't lose heart. Though our outward man is is perishing, the inward man is being renewed, and we thank you for that. We thank you that the word of God is your voice, and as children, as sheep, we, we hear your voice because of the spirit of God that illumines our minds and hearts. Father, again, we just pray that we would see ourselves as nothing more than your slaves, and therefore we've been bought, and whatever you have for us, may it be good, and as Mueller said, may we be satisfied with you. Satisfied with what you're doing in our life and the path that you're leading us down. Because you are our Father and we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.